The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Hey, Lord willing, reminder that we will be having our Christmas Eve service. Um, Mr. Chris Wilson will be leading us in some pretty traditional arrangements of some hymns. We'll have a short sermon concerning um, just the good news of the first advent of Christ and how that points forward to the good news of his second advent that's to come. That'll be Christmas Eve, 6 p.m. here. There'll be spaces upstairs, downstairs. It'll also be live streamed as well if you guys are interested in that. We encourage you to consider bringing your family, okay? Luke chapter 1. We're having an advent sermon today. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55 is going to be our specific text, but I think up on the screen you'll see there that we're going to actually read 39 through 55, just to give a little bit of a context to the main preaching text, which is going to be basically the first Christmas song, the first Christmas song sung by Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we're going to read verses 39 down to 55, again, to catch a little bit of Mary's visit with her relative Elizabeth, all right? What we want to do is stand to our feet. We're going to honor the Lord of the word, not only in word only, but just with the physical action. We want to stand to give him the honor that he is worthy of, our king. Remember, um, these words are not just the mere words of a man who was just curious about the things of Christ, although that is the case, according to verses 1 through 4 in chapter 1, but these are also the words of a man penned who was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what our fellow brother in Christ, Luke, has to say, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now listen to Mary's song here. She replies, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So our sermon title this morning is a question, and the question is this, what is God like? What is God like? What we're going to do is turn to the first Christmas song that we have here on the lips of Mary, and what we're going to find is that Mary has an answer for us concerning this question of what is God like? The main idea really comes down to this. This first Christmas song is going to teach us that God is mindful and God is mighty. Two things, God is mindful, God is mighty. This is what our God is like. And again, we're going to hear it on the lips of this woman who has been singled out to be the one who will bring the Son of God into the world. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit empower the preaching of His Word. And then we're going to turn our time to this text this morning, okay? So let's pray. Father, we need our eyes opened to see Jesus. We need our ears tuned to receive your grace. We need our minds tuned to be able to understand what is being said here. All these things I am incapable of doing. I have no power to make this happen. But you, Holy Spirit, absolutely have the power to open our eyes to see our need for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. You absolutely have the power to make our ears hear the reverberations of the good news of grace here in this text. You, Holy Spirit, absolutely have the power to turn our minds to understand the scriptures before us this morning. And so that's what I pray. Holy Spirit, would you fill? Would you move? So that when it's all said and done, it's as though I've been slipped off to the side of the stage and the one who is front and center is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord God, come and do these things so that you receive the maximum glory you are worthy to receive. Stir our hearts to rejoice. Stir our hearts to magnify you as we hear the preaching of your word. It's in the name of Christ the King, I pray. Amen. So again, think about this question here. What do you think about when you think about God? Maybe that's the way that we can take the sermon title and try to put a different spin on it, a different, a different facet to it. If the sermon title is, What is God Like? Let's just ponder that. What do you think about when you think about God? So the preacher man gets up, someone like me, I begin to talk about all these religious sort of things. What are sort of the images? What are sort of the, the connotations? What are some of the words or the phrases that begin to rise to your serve, to your, into your mind as you hear someone like me begin to speak in these ways? What word pictures come to mind? Perhaps you conjure up images of a divine Santa Claus-like figure who is benevolent and loves to just bestow gifts onto us, especially when we desire a gift from him. Or maybe this question reveals that you believe God is just non-existent. What is God like? Don't know, don't care, don't even think he exists. Or perhaps you're not willing to go that far what is God like? Yeah, he exists, but if he does exist, maybe you're willing to concede that he does so at an extreme distance. Yeah, he's there, 
He's around, but he doesn't want anything to do with my life. It could be that some of us see God as this mushy, milk toast kind of God. Some of us perhaps see him as a wrath and fury only kind of God. Or perhaps some of us truly see him as a loving and a faithful God. The truth is, in answer to that question, all of us have some view of God and lots of us think about different things, different words, different pictures come to mind when we consider these things. So the question we must ask ourselves then is, how do we know we've got the answer to the question right? Because all of us have maybe varying answers to what is God like, that doesn't mean all the answers are correct if they do not line up with what the scriptures reveal concerning God. So the question is, how do we know that we've got the answer to the question right? How can we tell that we've grabbed the right end of the stick, as it were, when it comes to rightly knowing this God of whom we speak and sing and pray to? Now, in answer to this question, many are convinced there is no answer. They would say, I don't know what to tell you. There is no way that we can come to a conclusive answer to this question. They are convinced that there is no way to know these things with certainty. But Mary and her Christmas song found here in Luke chapter 1 is going to argue otherwise. At the beginning of his gospel, if you go back to the first four verses of Luke chapter 1, Luke begins by telling us that all he has written about is true. Like really, really true. Like true with a capital T kind of true. He tells us that the stories in this gospel that he's laid out for us, these stories concerning the account of the life of Christ, has come to him from those, he says, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses of all that he's writing about, and they were ministers of the word. Some of your translations might say he is a, they were servants of the word. That is, they didn't come and say, we are going to make this thing up and give it to you. The word came to us. Christ came to us. And we are just servants. He, we are just doing the bidding of the will of our master, of our Christ, of our king. And we're just simply telling you what we saw, heard, tasted, touched, listened to, whatever it might be. And Luke then goes on to say that he's done his due diligence. He says of having followed all things closely for some time past, going to these eyewitnesses, corroborating the accounts of all the things that circulate around Christ, this baby from the cradle to the cross, being crowned with thorns, resurrected from the dead. And now he writes so that a man named Theophilus And subsequently, so you and I here this morning may, he says, have certainty concerning these things. He says there is an absolute certain kind of hope that you can have in the reality of what I'm telling you. I've done the due diligence, he says. I've asked the questions. Luke's a doctor. For all of our doctors out here, they're no slouches. They know the deal. They know how to ask questions. They know how to turn over every stone. They know how to to run across something. Dr. Luke has done the due diligence of going across all the eyewitnesses to see if the stories corroborate. And he's saying, Theophilus, he's saying, Delta Church, Springfield, December 2020. I am telling you, everything that I've pinned down is absolutely certain. You can hang your hopes 
on what I'm about to tell you. So now, start to fast forward through his gospel. You come to the first 45 verses, and then you bump into Mary's first Christmas song. And it's right here that we come to this Holy Spirit-inspired Christmas song, which says, here are two things we can certainly, absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, know concerning our God. Our God is mindful. Our God is mighty. These are two things we must know about our God, and these are two things we can know about our God. So what does Mary's Christmas song tell us about God first? It tells us that God is mindful. Look at what Mary started to sing, starting there in verse 46 in your copy of Scripture. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Or in some of your translations, it might read as such. For he has been mindful. That idea of looking upon is that idea of being mindful. He's remembering me. He knows me. I'm on his radar. I'm not far. I'm not distant from him. He's very near. He's very intimate. He is mindful of the humble estate of his servant. So this is the opening exclamation of Mary. The opening exclamation of a woman who magnifies the Lord. She's rejoicing in the God who is mindful of someone such as she. Now it would be a massive, massive understatement to say that Mary is singing these words with astonishment. Just to merely say, ah, she's probably astonished at these things would be like the biggest understatement of the millennia. The sense of her praise is that of bewildering wonderment. What? This God knows me? He's, he's aware of, of me? He's mindful of me? It's almost like Mary is saying, listen, if anybody should be considered a nobody, it's me. I'm an unassuming girl. I'm from an inconsequential town. But God is mindful of me. He has looked on me. He knows me. If you wanted to modernize it a little bit and bring, bring that song, uh, bring that idea forward, there was a song in the recent past, right? He knows my name. He knows my every thought. This is the song Mary is singing. What? Me? I, I'm, I'm on his radar? He, he saw me? He knows me? He's mindful of me. And you get this sort of like knee-buckling, jaw-dropping, overwhelming reaction of grace that stirs her heart in light of God being mindful of her that leads her to magnify, leads her to rejoice in God, her Savior. So far from her humble estate being something which disqualifies her from God's notice, it's actually her lowliness which puts her on God's radar. For, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Mary sees this mindfulness of God her Savior towards her for what it is. She sees it as grace upon grace. You see, in the gospel of Mary's son... God loves to lift up the humble. People with nothing to contribute, people who look unimpressive, people who are morally messed up, 
People who hunger and thirst for righteousness, these are the people, Mary says, that God will fill with good things. And unfortunately, it's this very truth which we are so prone to forget. We can lose sight of the fact that, like Mary, we are undeserving nobodies. Not many of us, says the Apostle Paul, were wise according to the worldly standards of the day. Not many of us are powerful, not many of us are of noble birth, but, says the apostle, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low. God chose what is despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Why? That's good that he did this. This is grace. But the question is why? Says the apostle, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. One day, those of us saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are going to stand before Christ the King. And nobody will be able to say, I'm standing here Because obviously, look how great I am. No one's going to be able to do that. We will be standing there because God chose, God chose, God chose. And what that reality does of God's mindfulness towards those who are, you would just assume he would have no mindfulness toward at all. It's also that on that final day, no human being will be able to stand before God and boast in what they have done, but every human being saved by grace through faith in Christ will be able to stand before God and go, Him, I'm going to boast in Him. It is Him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. But again, it's right here. At this very point that many of us become grace amnesiacs. We come down with a strong case of amnesia right in that moment. And we forget the grace that we've received. And in our amnesia, we begin to believe that what makes God mindful of us is, well, obviously I'm a talented person. We begin to believe that what makes God mindful of us is, I'm great at taking exams. Or my successes in ministry or my successes in sports, or my successes in work, or my successes in my family life. When in reality, the gospel of Mary's son tells us that the reason God is mindful of us is not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. His mercy. So that, says the apostle Paul to his protege Titus, So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Why are you here today as a Christian whose heart was enthralled when we were singing O Holy Night? Because you recognize Christ the Savior has come. Christ has redeemed you. His crucifixion and his resurrection are the hope of eternal life you have. It's not because you did some awesome work that made God sort of peer down from the heavens and go, you know what, I really need her on my team. Do you see how awesome she is? Have you seen the way John Davis can preach? I gotta have him on my team. Now, I was hoping that would crack a little bit more of a laugh there. That got nothing. That was flat. I'm, I apologize. I t- that was an attempt at self-deprecating humor, and it was as flat as the day is long. I apologize. So. 
Amen. There you go. There you go. I appreciate that. It is C, none of the above, right? That, that's not the case. The reason why you and I have the hope of eternal life is because we have been justified by grace. We have not been justified by works done. I would dare argue, saints, that Mary, the mother of Christ, knows this through and through beyond a shadow of a doubt. Mary knows this. And it's Mary's Christmas song that calls us from the cesspool of self-boasting that so many of us like to wallow in and calls us to the God who loves the lowly. Christmas teaches the good news that God is mindful of the humble. But not only that, notice that if you go all the way down to the end of her Christmas song, what you'll also see is that Christmas teaches that God is mindful to keep his promises. So he's mindful of us for those who in humility have said, if my hope of standing before God and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, is going to be, if that exchange is going to take place, it's not going to become, be because I made myself great and God had to have me on his team. It's because in my humility, I realized I need a savior. He's mindful of the heart that is lowly and humble before the living God, but he all, she also says God is mindful to keep his promises. That's the significance of verses 54 and 55. If you're reading that where she's like, yeah, he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to her fathers, to Abraham, to his aunt. Like, what's that all about? What she's just doing is saying, man, isn't it a really good thing that God actually keeps his promises? Like, like isn't this a good thing she's saying? To which the answer is, yes, it's an absolutely good thing. God, her Savior, has helped his servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy, the concept there is he's been mindful. In his mercy, he's saying, I know, I know what I've promised. Don't lose hope yet. I will fulfill these promises that I've made to you. I've made promises to our fathers. Mary says he made promises to Abraham and know this right now. These promises will not fail. That's what Mary is singing about. That's what's got her rejoicing in God, her Savior, magnifying the Lord. God is a promise-keeping God. He's not a lie-speaking God. He's faithful, utterly faithful to the end. And it's stoking the flames of praise in her heart. The thing that has her stoked is that she is rightly seeing She's rightly seeing the events surrounding the birth of her baby as God mercifully keeping his promise. You go back to Genesis chapter 12, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, that's where you see that promise made to Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham that someone descended from him would inherit the world, bring blessing to the world, be the world ruler that we all need. And all the way throughout the Old Testament, you start marching forward through Genesis chapter 12, you just keep hearing these little pings, these little radar pings of promise, these little radar pings of blessing, these little radar pings that one is coming, keep looking for him, one's coming on the horizon. The prophets keep sort of standing on their tippy toes. They're looking forward saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And the part that we've skipped over in Luke chapter one is the last Old Testament prophet John the Baptist shows up on the scene and the difference with this Old Testament prophet is the Baptist doesn't say, keep looking, he's coming, hopefully, he says he's here now. 
And Mary's like, okay, like all of these longings of our hearts are coming to fruition. They're being fulfilled right now. She is seeing these things rightly concerning the events of the baby in her womb and the baby in the womb of her relative, Elizabeth. God says to his people, I'm mindful of you. I am remembering you. And I will fulfill the promise I made to you. And it's this very thought which is just stoking the flames of Mary's praise. She knows that for God to remember his promise doesn't mean he had forgotten it. That's what happens when dad in the Davis house says, oh yeah, now I remember. I remember it because I'd forgotten what I said. When she says God remembers something, it's not because God forgot. The concept of remembering specifically and especially when We talk about God remembering. It's this idea that God knows exactly what he's promised and now the time has come for him to take action in order to bring about what he has promised. And she's just saying that's what's going on right now. And with the events unfolding around her, Mary is rightly grasping this promise. The centuries-long promise is unfolding right before her very eyes. And brothers and sisters, for any of us, listen, for any of us who have been the casualty of a broken promise, this right here is excellent news. The praise of a mindful God who keeps his promises utterly and without fail is really good news. For any of us, dare I say, all of us here today, who have been the casualty of a broken promise. You see, many of us know the hurt of marriage vows that have been cast away, broken promise. Many of us know business commitments that have broken up and failed, broken promise. Many of us know the pledge of some vow torn up like Christmas morning wrapping paper, a broken promise. It's not too far-fetched to assume that many of us here this morning, our lives are littered with the debris of broken promises. Or perhaps you are here this morning, and it's less my life is littered with the debris of broken promises, but someone else's life is littered with the debris of a promise that I broke to them, and it's just crushing you. It's just hurting you. You, You're hurt because of the broken promise that you delivered into someone else's life. If this is you, then Mary's Christmas song calls you to humbly come before the promise-keeping God and to take comfort in Him. Move toward Him. Remember, He is mindful of you. He's not confused. You're not surprising him if you show up with a heart crushed and burdened with these things. He's not like, what? This thing's bothering you? He's not doing that. He's mindful of you. And he doesn't say, go and fix up all the debris. You go and sweep up all the debris and the litter of the broken promises in your life. He says, no, bring them to me. Bring them to me. This is the grace. This is the mercy that, that Mary is singing about in this moment. Come, take comfort in him. He's the powerful one. He's able to fulfill exactly what he's promised. Again, he is utterly faithful without fail. And he's standing here saying, come on, bring bring it to me. Bring it to me. This is true about our God. 
And this is what's stoking the praise of Mary. Remember, friends, remember this. When we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating God keeping a promise. This isn't just gifts and Santa Claus and trees and ho, ho, ho and jingle bells. This is God saying, I told you I would do it. It's the proof that I'm the, I'm the word-keeping God, the promise-keeping God, not the lie-telling God. Christmas is God keeping a promise. And again, Mary sees it, gets it, grasps it, and it's stoking the praise right out of her body because she knows what Christmas is about. And it's then the fulfillment of this promise, the Lord Jesus Christ himself That for those of us who know the hurt, the debris, or whatever it might be of broken promises, we can come to this Lord, our Savior, our King, and find healing for our wounds. Find the forgiveness that we need. Find the comfort that we need for these things. God is mindful. Second and last, God is mighty. Look at that middle chunk of scriptures there right in the middle of her her song there. Look at what Mary continues to sing, starting in the back half of verse 48. For behold, she says, from now on all generations will call me blessed, and notice how she refers to God. For he who is mighty, there it is. For he who is mighty, the mighty one, has done great things for me, and holy is his name, she says. In verse 49, Mary refers to God, her Savior, as the mighty one, and it's In his might, God's might, she says, that he has done great things for me. So notice the confluence here. The might of God intimately connects with the mindfulness of God. How awful would it be if God's like, I'm really mindful of you. I know what's going on in your world, Chris, but I really have no power to do anything about it. Sure hope life goes well for you. Or what if it was this? God is the mighty one but I don't give two rips about you because I don't really care to be mindful toward you. But it is the most beautiful, gracious thing in the world for God to say, I am mindful of you. And oh, by the way, I am mighty as well toward you. The God whose name is holy, the God who is mighty to extend mercy to those who fear him from generation to generation, he is the same God who knows you And cares to act for you. He cares to help you. And what has he done in his might? Says Mary starting in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. Verse 51. He has exalted those of humble estate. Verse 52. And he has filled the hungry with good things. Verse 53. But notice says Mary. He's also the same God who uses his might in another way. He uses his might to scatter the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He uses his might to bring down the mighty from their thrones, she says. This is the God who uses his might to send the rich away happy, or send the rich away empty. In other words, just as God uses his might to raise some up, he also uses his might to bring some down. 
And at first hearing this, you're like, okay, so how does this work with all this mindfulness stuff and God caring for people? He raises some up, but he uses the exact same might to park them down low. It sounds at odds, this, this raising up and setting down, this bringing down, it sounds at odds with the idea of a mindful God who cares about people. But as we've said before, listen, it's actually God's mercy on display to do this. If God knows that pride will keep you from him, it's his mercy to park you low so that in your humbling your eyes are opened, I need Jesus. It would be awful of God to say, this thing will keep you from me eternally and then to let you go on your way, not giving a care. His mindfulness towards you almost exercises his might to set you low so that in your lowness, a la Luke 15, think of prodigal son, when did he finally come to himself, Jesus says in the parable, not until basically he was at the end of his rope eating pig slop. And that was a grace of the Father's love. To let him come to the end of himself so that he would see, I've got a Father that loves me. I've got a Father that knows my name. I'm out of here. I'm running home. To be embraced and swooped up into the arms of a Father who loves. This is what God is doing. It is God's mercy on display to use his might to raise up, to use his might to set down. Not only is God mindful and mighty, but he's also merciful it's because God cares about people that he uses his might in this way. So with the strength of his arm, he scatters the proud so that they might become humble. He brings down the mighty so that they might be saved from their self-sufficient schemes. He sends away the rich who are prone to gorge themselves on their own self-importance so that they might hunger for the good things that this world cannot give. Like the good thing of knowing a merciful God is mindful of me quite despite me. Like the good thing of knowing the peace of God that surpasses all understanding or the good thing of certain assurance that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he has shed his own blood for my soul. These are the things that the world cannot, these are not the good things of the world. These are the good things of knowing a mindful God who in his mercy has probably, if any of us could come up here and grab this mic and begin to tell our testimony, and we just said, use these three words, mindful, might, and mercy. All of us would say, I know the mercy of God. He was mindful of me enough to exercise his might to set me low at some point in time in my life so my eyes could all of a sudden be open and the scales would fall off. I would see my need for Jesus, and I ran to him. I praise God for his mercy that in his might he mindfully set me low. In a sense, that's all of our testimonies of those who are here as believers. And the question I have for you is, that's, is that your testimony? If you're here going, eh, I'm not sure about this old Jesus thing. Because that's the testimony of a true Christian. Someone who can speak in these ways. So what do we learn about God from Mary's Christmas song? We learn this. God is mindful of us and more mighty than us. Amen. Mindful of us and more mighty than us. And it's these truths which stirred Mary's soul to magnify, spurred her spirit to rejoice in God her Savior. So as this Advent season, brothers and sisters, hurdles 
toward the celebratory birth of Mary's son. We're less than a week away. I ask you, how will you react to the mindful and mighty God? How are you going to react to it? I beg, Matt, listen, I, I know you've got a lot of stuff on your plate. It's the holidays, and everyone's trying to figure out, like, what to do. Do we go? Do we stay? What, what, what do we do? I, I get it, but listen. Don't let Satan rob you of the opportunity to do business right now. Think on this question. I beg you, think on this question. How will you react to the mindful and mighty God? Some of us, God is stirring our hearts right now because you've just never quite grasped the fact that he's mindful of you. Me? Me? Yes, you. And in his might, there very well could be something he's doing in your world that is just blowing your mind right now. Maybe there's a measure of raising up. Maybe there's a measure of setting down. Don't chalk it up to some other circumstance. Look to him. Recognize he loves you enough to exercise his might, mindful of you, so that you will see your need for his mercy and for his grace. How will you react? Will you hear this kind of good news coming from the mouth of a man such as I and go, is he going to wrap this thing up anytime soon and blow out of here and just roll on into the Christmas season? Or was God in his providence giving you a pause right now to hear a question such as this so that you can have yet another opportunity to hear about the good news of a sovereign God who loves you so that you can repent and believe in him for possibly the first time? And come into his kingdom because that baby in the cradle is the king that went to the cross. And that king went to the cross and died in your place, bearing the wrath for your sin. So you could stand before God for all of eternity. Not boasting in self, but in humility, Allah Mary saying, not me, but Christ. That is my hope of eternal life. My hope is that the Spirit of God is leading you in this way right now as we wrap up in prayer. Let's pray. Father, repenting and rejoicing, that's, I think, the two words we can lay in front of us right now. And I'm asking, Father, that you do a work of both in the hearts of every man, woman, boy, girl here today. Do that work right now. There's probably a measure of those of us who need to repent for the first time. Like the Holy Spirit is literally just pinging, oh, oh my, like I don't know the mercy. I am boast, I love to boast in my self-importance. God has done many things to set me low, but I've just ignored it. But for whatever reason right now, this, this Spirit is moving and it is pinging us that the mindfulness of God is sweet. He knows my name. So, Father, I'm asking that right now you'd bring some to first-time repentance. Others of us, we never stop repenting, so there's just maybe something else we need to repent of. Fathers, others of us are in a place of where just we need to get up and we just need to sing a song of rejoicing. Whatever it might be, Father, my hope and my prayer is this. We will not grieve the Holy Spirit and we would walk in obedience to whatever he is leading us to do. God, help us to Love Jesus with our acts of obedience as the Spirit leads us over these next several minutes. It's in the name of Christ Jesus I pray. Amen.